guys didn't see, uh, Miss Jamie and Miss Katie had an awesome little twirling dance that they were doing, as I said, also with you, and so that was just fun. And so if you missed that, I, I won't I won't belabor it and do it with you, but right now, but it was pretty awesome. So uh, we are in a series called Begin Again, Begin Again, and I love it because in sometimes in our lives we find ourselves just needing to start over. Um, that's so true for me, uh, as I have thought through just the, the title of this series a bit, I thought about uh, just a time when I needed a do-over, a time when I needed to have a moment where I could have a restart. And so the scriptural passage that we're going to look at this morning gives us a window into the lives uh, of the Israelites just as they had entered the promised land. And so it's, it's been, for the Israelites, it's been rough and it's been rocky the past 40 years for them as God's people and they, as they have sojourned through the wilderness. And mainly it's been rough and it's been rocky and they've been stuck in the wilderness for 40 years because they've been disobedient. And they've come to a new start as they've entered the promised land and it's a, a long-awaited hope that has been fulfilled. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 9 through 12. Joshua chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. So if you have access to a Bible, whether that's print or digital, or whether you're looking on the screen for it, uh, you can follow along with me as I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says this, it says, The Lord then said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the disgrace, and we're going to talk about that, of Egypt from you. Therefore that, therefore, that place is still called Gilgal today. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover. And on the evening of the 14th day of the month, the day after the Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan that year. Now this passage at first glance, you may be thinking, what in the world is going on? What does this have to do with Lent? What does this have to do with us as we wait and anticipate the coming of the resurrection of our King and Savior? but I want to give you a kind of a, a big picture context because this Old Testament passage is rich. And so I want you to hear all the things that are leading up to it so that we can have kind of a better optical view. Um, and, and it goes all the way back, all the way to Genesis. So Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, God makes a promise to a man named Abram. And we also know him as Abraham. And he's regarded throughout the scriptures and throughout history as the father of the Israelites. The promise God makes to him is that his lineage, that his legacy would be that the people that come from him would become a great nation. Now, if you fast forward to Genesis chapter 37 through 50, and I believe it was last summer that we got to go through the life of Joseph, we meet Joseph, who happens to be the great grandson of Abraham. And Joseph was known to be the second in command of all of Egypt. 
Now, the family of Abraham, they, they make a major move to Egypt and they plant their roots there because of a famine that, that happened. But eventually they become the slaves of the Egyptians. You can see all of the book of Exodus to kind of get your feel on that, but they spent more than 400 years in Egypt as slaves. But one day God sends a deliverer through Moses. That's a point that I want to shout on. But Moses confronts the Egyptian Pharaoh and that Pharaoh resisted the strong request of Moses to let the Israelites go. Maybe you heard it in the old Sunday school song. Oh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Y'all know that song? Okay, if not, you have to go on YouTube and find it. So God sends, I hear y'all. So God sends 10 plagues in Exodus chapter 7 through 12. And after the 10th plague, old Pharaoh loosens his grip and lets the people go. But then there's this miraculous passage through the Red Sea. You've seen the old uh, Prince of Egypt. It's quite beautifully and artistically laid out as they cross through on dry ground and there are fish swimming alongside of them as they walk through the Red Sea. That's in Exodus 14. But then they spend 40 years wandering around, as I said earlier, in the desert because of their disobedience. Then Moses dies and only gets a glimpse of the promised land. He literally goes up on a mountain and he gets to see it, but he's not able to enter into it. And he's not the only one. You see, the entire generation of the Israelites that had come out of Egypt because of their disobedience, they died before entering the promised land. Which brings us to our text this morning. Joshua and his mightiness and his amazing leadership has taken on the mantle of leadership for Moses, the great deliverer, because Moses has died. That's at the end of Deuteronomy. And a new generation of adults and children that have only known wandering around in the wilderness, that's so much in that right there, wandering around the wilderness have just entered into a land that they themselves had only heard about because their grandparents, their parents had died off, but they get to go into the promise. God promised this land to Moses way back in Exodus chapter three, verse seven and eight. And I want to read it for you. Uh, it's, an, it's an important passage to hold on to. It says, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard the cry because of their taskmasters. Other, uh, um, other versions might say they're enslavers or they're oppressors. And I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them. This is God speaking to Moses. To deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. There's, there is prosperous there to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. That's Exodus chapter three, verses seven through eight. And once the people of God had entered the land, they had to cross another body of water. This time it wasn't the Red Sea, it was the Jordan River. Okay, the Jordan River was much smaller than the Red Sea, but God decides to remind them of what they had experienced in the Exodus by bringing them through the Jordan River the same way he brought them through the Red Sea. 
which was to do something miraculous, to once again cause them to walk on dry ground, to raise up the sides of the creek, to stop it, and they walk through. And God does another miracle. He parts the waters. So when we get to the beginning of chapter 5, that's verses 1 through 8, you should read that on your own time if you have a chance this week. The men are of the Israelites are recuperating from being circumcised. Now, this practice of circumcision was a command given by God to his people. It was a practice. Uh, it was part of the covenant, excuse me, agreement that they had had. Similar to our covenant agreement that we made today with God in community with uh, Mission Hills. It was a part of a covenant agreement. And with all this in mind, I want us to reread our text and maybe hear it a little bit differently this time says, the Lord then said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. Therefore, that the place is still, therefore that place is still called Gilgal today. While the Israelites camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. The day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna, which is closely tied with their wilderness wandering, it ceased. Since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate from the crops of the land of Canaan, which is their promised land, their new place, their new home that year. Let's pray. Dear God, I ask that as we get ready to look into your scriptures and have the word spoken over us, I pray that the spirit would do something supernatural in this moment, would do something that is bigger than me, that is bigger than us, God, that brings glory to you, that brings honor to your name, and God, that infuses us with a confidence in who you are, that you are a good God, that you are a God who wants to do good things and give good things to his children. And so, Lord, as we look at this text, remind us that in the waiting of Lent, we can have confidence again, above and beyond in who you are. And we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. As we seek spiritual renewal and revival in ourselves during this season of Lent, I want us to draw six confidences from this passage. Six confidences. Confidence number one. I want you to have confidence that the Lord will speak to you. Amen. It's so easy to live in a, a world where we think that God is uh, just covering us in deafening silence, but that's not true. Because from this Old Testament passage, just from verse number nine, it says very simply, very plainly, and you can run over it quickly. The Lord then said to Joshua, hard stop. The Lord, he spoke to him. He had something to say to him. He wanted to communicate, to get across to, to make some type of effort of intimacy through communication with Joshua. And the same is true for you and for me that the Lord wants to speak to you. And so today I want you to gather yourself and find some confidence in that truth. I'm reminded of a scripture from Hebrews chapter one. 
In Hebrews chapter 1, the very beginning of the book of Hebrews, the writer writes, he says, Long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. You see, there is confidence that the Lord will speak to you because Jesus has come. Because Jesus has showed up on the scene, because Jesus has lived and came and died and been resurrected, we can have confidence that the Lord will speak to us like he spoke to Joshua. Now, we may not hear an audible voice, or we may. That's still possible today. He has chosen to also speak through his word. He has chosen also to speak to us as we pray. Maybe it sometimes is, a, is an image. I know that might sound kind of kooky, but that happens sometimes. The Lord is supernatural and sits above all things and can choose to communicate with us in any way he wants to. It may be through the repetition of a song. God will speak to you, but we must be listening. Confidence number two. Confidence we should have that the Lord will exchange grace for your disgrace. That the Lord will exchange grace for your disgrace. Let's, let's kind of break this down a little bit. So anytime there is an exchange, there is usually uh, someone who has a lesser value and someone who has a greater value. Right. If you just think about it very transactionally, uh, if I go and get a water burger, right, get a patty melt. That's not my actually my order. My order is a double meat. But uh, when I go and I get my double meat, with no lettuce, no tomato, because you know, I struggle sometimes with that kind of thing. And so when I go to get my double meat, uh, I'm going to exchange what happened to be probably ten plus dollars, which is a little bit crazy, but ten plus dollars to get my uh, water burger with double meat with that super large drink that they give you. Right. And so when they give you that, that exchange is something from usually a, a, not always of equal value. Right. But here, what I want you to see is that the Lord is giving greater value to us and taking on something of lesser value from us. Where am I getting this? When it says in verse uh, nine, part B, today I have rolled away the disgrace of Egypt from you. What is that? Well, you see, when the Israelites were, some scholars believe that when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, it wasn't like they were in some bubble and the Egyptians didn't know what was going on. You see, the Egyptians had been defeated by the Israelites, most primarily by the power of God, but the Israelites had some type of feeling of disappointment, of disapproval, because the world was looking at them, literally spinning their wheels for 40 years in the desert. So imagine the Egyptians heckling. Imagine what the Egyptians were saying back in Egypt. Oh, these fools, they left us and they've been stuck out there in the wilderness for 40 years. I want to tell you today, maybe you have a disgraced moment. Maybe you have a situation in your life. Something didn't go right. Maybe it was divorce. Maybe it was death. Maybe it was a loss of friends, whatever it may be. That that disgrace that you have, God wants to give you grace and take the disgrace from you. You see, disgrace used in this translation is also uh, used in other translations. Uh, they say reproach. Reproach just means to express 
disapproval or disappointment. I don't know about you, but sometimes I felt disappointed and down on myself. And so I needed the grace of God exchange for my disappointment and my disapproval of myself or from other people. But other translations use this word. And I really think it's quite key. I think it's even better than disgrace. It's the word scorn. Scorn And scorn means it's the feeling or belief that someone or something is worthless or despicable. But what I want to tell you is particularly with worthless, the word worthless is used so many times by Satan to cause us to think that we are less than. But if we are reminded in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, it tells us that we have been literally made and shaped and formed into the image of God, which therefore means that whoever you are, no matter when you were born, no matter your creed, your color, your race, your gender, your sexuality, whatever it may be, you have inherent dignity. So the disgrace that you may feel from Satan, from yourself, from other people, God says, I will exchange it for you. This is the confidence we can have, especially as we wait in this Lenten season. Confidence number three. We should have confidence that the Lord will prepare our necks in life. He will prepare our necks. You see, when I read verse 10, it says, while the Israelites camped at Gilgal at the plains of Jericho. Hard stop. If you go to Joshua chapter six, it's titled, the conquest of Jericho. Now, if you know the story of Jericho, it's where the Israelites go up to the walls of Jericho and over a seven day time period, they begin to praise outside of the city of Jericho. And on the seventh day, they walk around the city, not with their weapons, but with trumpets, with tambourines, singing and shouting and praising God. And what happens? The walls of Jericho begin to shake. And not only do they begin to shake, they begin to crumble. And the Israelites don't lift a sword and God God gives them the victory over their enemies. You see, but before we get to that, they're camping on the plains of Jericho. They don't know what awaits them in Jericho. They think that, yes, they're going to go to war. They think it's going to work out in one way, possibly. We ourselves, we don't realize whether we're getting ready to go into high school or graduate from high school or go into a relationship or get a promotion at the job or move somewhere far away. Whatever that may be, God is preparing you now in your moment for your next, even as you camp on the plains of Jericho. So take confidence that God will prepare you Confidence number four. The scripture says in 10b, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month. Now that sounds like a bit of information that we could all just skip over and be like, what was that about? But there's more. There's more there. And the confidence number four that I want us to hold on to is that we should have confidence that the Lord's commands will cause us to remember where we've been. It's hard to move forward when we don't know where we've been. It's hard to cast a projection for the future if we don't know the past, right? And so when we read, I want us to, to, to hone in on and tend to be the Passover. 
You see, when the 10th plague came, which the 10th plague in Exodus is the, is the death of the firstborn of Egypt. When that came, what was told to the Israelites by Moses is that they needed to go and take a lamb, kill the lamb, take a brush, hiss him, and put the blood over the door of their house. I wish we could get into that. But when you put that blood on the doorpost of your house, the death angel, this is what they were told, the Israelites, the death angel will pass over your house. And so that happens for the Israelites, but what happens in Egypt for the Egyptians is that they lose their firstborn, including Pharaoh, because this is a plague. This is because of disobedience. This is because of the hardened heart of Pharaoh. And that situation of the 10th plague brings on the Passover, the Passover meal of the unleavened bread. And when we read here about them, the Israelites, observing Passover, it's not that we're supposed to remember necessarily the lamb and the blood, which is great, which we should remember, but it is to remind us that, hey, you had to go through an exodus. You had to go through a hard situation. You had to come out of oppression and be brought out of it by the hand of God. So what I want us to get confidence in is that we need to remember where we've been and we need to put on some spiritual lenses to remember that where we've been in our past, we need to see the hand of God that has been at work during that time. Because that is what Joshua was wanting us to see here. Confidence number five, I'm almost done. Confidence number five is that we should have confidence that the Lord will provide what you need in different seasons. Verses 11 and 12. It says, the day after Passover, they ate unleavened bread and roasted grain, and I want you to hear this, from the produce of the land. And the day after they ate from the produce of the land, the manna ceased. What is this manna? Manna is bread. Uh, in fact, in the Hebrew, it's kind of funny. Uh, it just means, literally means, what is this? Right? And so they're like, what is this, God? But it's something that's falling from the sky that they can eat to have their bellies full. And so it was God's provision for them in a really specific and needed way. But the manna ceased. It stopped. Why? You see, the manna represented to the Israelites the wilderness and their wandering. But now they've transitioned. Now they've moved into this new promise, this promised land that had been promised to, their, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now it was made sight to them. The manna ceased. And what did they have? They had the produce of the land. God will provide for you in different seasons. Whether that be relationships, whether that be finances, whether that be love, whatever that may be, God will provide for you. He knows what you need in every season and every situation. And lastly, the sixth confidence from this passage. If we look at the last part of 12, it says, since there was no more manna for the Israelites, they ate the crops of the land of Canaan that confidence we should take from that is that the Lord will sustain you. We can just 
stop right there. The Lord will sustain you. I don't know what you need to be sustained in or from, but he will sustain you. He will hold you up by his righteous hand. He will keep you and draw you close. You see, the sustaining power of God comes through his kept promises. And when the Israelites in verse 12, when they began to eat from the crops of the land, they were literally being sustained by the kept promises of God. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. That's encouraging to my heart. That's uplifting to my heart and to my head and to my mind. That speaks to me on many different levels and hopefully it does to you as well. So in Lent, we wait and we anticipate the death, burial, and resurrection of Savior, of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. But as you wait, remember this blessed moment in history, which is when the Israelites entered into the promised land. And I want you to remember these confidences, even if you can't remember all of them, remember one, snag one of them, and they're in the app on the sermon notes. And so Lent is this season where God is not calling you just to fast for me, to give up soda, to let go of Whataburger, which I didn't do, that wasn't my fast. But he's calling you to have your confidence in him rekindled. So I said to you this morning, begin again to put your confidence in the Lord. Now, lastly, if you have never had a chance to put your confidence in Jesus as the one who did a magnificent, all amazing, salvific, life changing, life altering work as one who will bring you close to God the Father and as one who can be the Lord and boss of your life, then I want to encourage you. Let today be your beginning to trust and put your confidence in the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask that through your spirit, one, you would save someone, that you would plant seeds today in someone's life if they don't know you. But God, if we're all believers in here, that, that's great. I pray that you would remind us Give us confidence in who you are, that you'll sustain us and you'll keep us and you'll provide for us, that you'll draw us near, that you'll speak to us. And so God, we ask that as we rest in you and we rest in your confidences, God, we ask, we plead, we beg that you give us more of you. As we go through the rest of Lent, as we wait patiently to remember the resurrection, do something amazing in our lives. Do something amazing through us. Your sent people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.